us to answer three questions about missions. The what is missions, why do we do missions, and how do we do missions? And I'm going to do everything I can to, to kind of unpack what's going on in my heart and my little brain here that I've been wrestling with over the past few weeks. And I will argue that, that most true Christians that have been saved by grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone, I would argue that, that most of them ask the Lord, what is next? I've been redeemed. I know the truth. I know my sin. And I know that it has separated me from God. And I know that it's separated. And what I deserve is God's absolute wrath. And, and I'm, I'm, I, I, that is what I deserve. But by God's grace, I've, I've experienced Christ Jesus and know that the penalty was paid for me on the cross, that he went to my grave, that he overcome the death that I deserve. And the grave is empty. That means my eternal grave is empty. It's the gospel. We trust in Jesus, not any other junk of the world, but we put our hope and trust in Jesus. That's the gospel. And, I, and, and here's the thing. When we're radically transformed like that, we ask the question, what's next? What's next? God, what do you have for me? This life that you've called to me, what do, we, what do you want me to do with this? This is the what. This mission. How do I live a transformed life that you have brought me into? One of the greatest joys I have as a pastor is I sit with believers, some new, maybe some that the Lord has just really kicked in the seat of the pants, and I get to sit with them, and I'm going, hey, I just, I'm just trying to figure out how do I live as a Christian? What does this mean for me? Because this is totally different than the way I lived before. What does it mean for me to, to live for the glory of God? You wrestle with the Lord. This is what, what true faith and Jesus does to us. It changes our way of thinking. It changes our priorities. It changes, it radically changes the way that we do life. It radically changes the way that we look at everything that we have. It radically changes the way we look at our kids. It radically changes the way that we look at our jobs, where God has placed us. It should radically change the way that we look at our neighbors. It radically changes the way that we worship. It changes our way of thinking, priorities our old way of life, and it embeds the seeking of the Lord for something better, something better, more glorious than we could ever imagine. I love this. I love it. And I want to encourage it today. But here's the problem. That's a battle to keep that. It fades. It fades. Our desires fade. We slip into a routine of, of life and complacency. Well, we get back from these things. Or, yeah, I'm saved by grace through faith, but I still go to work. My kids still wake up and cry in the morning. Still got to make lunches. I still got to do laundry. Got to think about the roof that may have gotten damaged by the hailstorm. All of these things. And this is, this is a battle that we face all the time. We slip into this complacency and we seek the Lord when our, our comfortable way of life is interrupted and inconvenienced and we plead for a quick fix so we can, we can resume our comfortable lives. The evil one and the things of this world do everything they can to draw our attention and our affections away from Jesus and what he's called us to. Here's, here's what I've seen. 
So the enemy loves to convince the American Christian that to be a good Christian, all we have to do is maybe pray over our food sometimes. When we remember, we can attend church a few times and we try to stay awake through the long sermon that the preacher preaches. We send our kids to kids' ministry or our youth, the youth ministry, so they can be taught about Jesus. We're doing our good thing because we send our kids away to learn about Jesus. And we want to feel, if we want to feel really, really good, then we'll tie the little. And if anyone happens to ask, we can tell them that we are Christian because otherwise they would never know. All the while, we settle into complacent comfort while dust collects on our Bibles. Someone else disciples our kids and our neighbors go to hell. I've been there. This is me. I've been there. I tell you, I often preach what I need to hear the most So if this hurts the things that I'm saying, if there's any conviction there, I feel it too. I've been there. We settle into comfort. And in the famous words of Daryl Philman, we sit on our biscuit, never willing to risk it. I want you to look at verse 25. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And forfeits his soul. Church, I want you to think about what God has called us to. It's not what God has called us to. God has not called us to sit complacently in our comfortable homes. A life of complacency and comfort and self-indulgence is not what he saves us to. It's what he saved us from. Let me say that again, a life of complacency and comfort in this world and self-indulgence is not what God saves us to, it's what he saves us from. And he saves us to something so much greater. He saves us for a great purpose, to make much of him. There's a great book out there in our resource center and I encourage you to pick it up and we'll get more copies too. If you don't find it, I will get you one. I have an extra one at home. It's called The Let the Nations Be Glad. It's written by John Piper. And John Piper makes this statement that I don't completely agree with. He says this. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. And here's why I disagree with that statement. Worship exists, just not of God. As we stood in, in Athens and we looked around, worship exists. As Isaac stood in the country that he was in and looked around, worship was everywhere. It exists, just not of God. Everyone worships something, and these things are are not the one true God, and they all lead to this. No hope, no true joy, and eventually death and destruction. But here's the thing. Here's the glorious thing. We as believers, we know the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. And Jesus calls us to share this. He calls us to make disciples. You know what it means to make a disciple? Teach someone about Jesus, to bring them along in following Jesus. 
This is a great commission in, Acts, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He, and Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. This is what he says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Not some, all nations. Your home is a nation. <laughs> it's part of a nation. Greece is a nation. Europe is a nation. Those countries are nations. South America, there's nations there that people need Jesus. Your neighbor is part of a nation that needs Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We read in Acts 1.8, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He says, Acts 1.8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You are to be a witness. He doesn't say you might, and people will argue, well, that was to the disciples, the first apostles. No, that's for you, Christian. You are to be his witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What is your Jerusalem? It is your home. What is your Judea? Your neighbors and your community. Your job. What is your Samaria? Well, maybe it's Denver. Maybe it's somewhere a little further off. Maybe it's Eaton. What's your end of the earth? Maybe it's Athens, Greece. Maybe it's somewhere in Southeast Asia. In our passage here, Jesus calls us to pick up our cross daily and follow Him. What is your cross? What's your cross? Let me tell you what your cross is not. Your cross is not your job. Your cross is not, is not your your a wore-out car. Your, your cross is not your troubles. And, and, and I hate this. Well, people say, well, we all have our cross to bear. You should, but it's not some little trouble that you experience in your circumstances of life. Your, your cross is not your mother-in-law. Amen? It's not your cross. It's not your cross. This is not what Jesus is talking about. Your cross is a sign that you are willing to follow Jesus and make much of Him wherever He leads and whatever the cost because what we have in Jesus is worth it and others need what you have. That's your cross. That's your cross. We're to pick up our cross so others or not, so there's not to see our piety or our religious deeds. It's not your cross that look how religious I am. No, your cross is to go look at Jesus. He's your hope. In other words, we are to make Jesus non-ignorable and severance unto the ends of the earth. But here's our problem, Christian, and I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. Often a problem is we're okay with others worshiping other things and we're okay with them going to hell because, because two things are out of sight and out of mind for us. The first is the lost and suffering. We just don't see them. 
the enemy is really good at blinding us from lost people and suffering people. He's really good at making us comfortable to insulate ourselves from those evil things of the world. He's really good at going, hey, here's a great community that you can live in that's safe and your kids don't have to experience this. If you homeschool, praise God for that. I'm glad that you do. But sometimes we think about, well, I want to protect and insulate my kids from this. And, 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 and I want to encourage, with under, you need to have lost friends. And to an extent, I would encourage your kids to have lost friends if they know Jesus. There's a story a, a few months, probably six or eight months ago, one of the little girls, little girls in, in, in our congregation, is a little, little neighbor boy, and, and they love this little boy, and sometimes he's, he's kind of a handful and, and all that, but, but she came and she says, Mom, I want to, be your, want to be his friend because he doesn't know Jesus. Isn't that an amazing thing? <laughs> Even our kids get it often more than we do. They look at him and go, hey, he needs what I have. I know of this Jesus. He need this. Here's the other thing. The second thing is, is our cross. We've made it very easy and acceptable to pack away and only take out our cross when it's convenient. In his book, The Celestial Railroad, Nathaniel Hawthorne speaks of the Christian life as a journey. And he addresses the pitfalls of modern Christianity. And this was written, I think, like 100 years ago, but it's so fitting for today. It's right to the, the, the pitfalls of modern Christianity. In one excerpt, he talks about carrying our cross. And this is what he says. He says, one great convenience of the new method of going on pilgrimage, which is our Christian walk, our lives that we live. He says, I must not forget to mention our enormous burdens. Instead of being carried on our shoulders, as had been the custom of old, we are snugly, they are snugly deposited in the baggage car. And as I was assured, would be delivered to their prospective owners at the journey's end. We're called to carry our cross, not pack it away. We're called to carry our cross daily in our very day walk, our everyday walk, but also to the ends of the earth. This is the very core of what it means to be a missionary, to pick up our cross. And if you are a believer in the saving work of Jesus, you are called to be a missionary. Look at me with your face. If you're a Christian, you are a missionary. God may not call you to a third world country. He may not call you to the other side of the world, but he certainly calls you in your home. He certainly put you where you live for a purpose and a reason. He has given you your job for a reason, not just to make money. He has given you a purpose where you are at to make much of him. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, he says, you're either a missionary or an imposter. This is what missions is. Missions is the responsibility and joy of every believer to make Jesus known. And the amazing thing is we learn so much from our kids. I see our kids sharing Jesus 
man, we could learn about that, their openness of that. Missions is a responsibility and joy of every believer to make Jesus known. Here's the second question. Why missions? Why missions? That's the what. Why missions? Here's the simple answer. Jesus died for sinners. Look at verses, look at verses 21 and 22. And he strictly charged and, and commanded them to tell this to no one. Listen to what, look at verse 22. Saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. But on the third day, but on the third day, be raised. The why of missions is because Christ died for people. <laughs> he died for you. He died for lost people all over the world that don't yet know the name of Jesus. The why of missions is because Christ died for people. And he commands his church to declare this. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 20 and 21. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be a sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We somehow have this and I know no one here would admit this, but this is subconscious the way we think about it. Because this is the way that plays out in our lives. Mine as well. We somehow have this subconscious belief that Jesus died for us and us only. We keep our faith personal and secret. But God calls us to share the good news because he has others that he is saving. John chapter 10 Listen to this. This is 14 through 18. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have others, listen to this, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I, will, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This I charge, this charge I've received from my Father. Jesus says he has other sheep other than you. Other than you. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? told you earlier that I had the opportunity to visit Corinth, and we get to walk around the ancient city there, and the modern city's kind of built up around it, but we got to tour this, and in Acts 18, Paul has this record of being there with Aquila and Priscilla, and he's making tents there, and I got to walk through this area there. I think there's some pictures. Can you show some pictures of Corinth? Not that one. That one's of Arthur. Keep going. Keep going. Should be some other, two other pictures of Corinth. Like, all right, so this is, this is, Go to the other picture of Corinth real quick. This is just some of the pictures there that, that we took, and I would love to show more, but I don't want to preach too long today. Um, but, but I just have a few pictures. This is part of the, the, the ancient city here, and this was part of their aqueduct system. But if you'll go back to the other one there, this is called the Bema. This was a, the, the courthouse, so to speak, there in Corinth. And this, this place right here was where Paul stood on trial. They tried to bring him up on trial um, and he was dismissed of the charges. But that, that spot, very spot right there, was where Paul, the Apostle Paul stood on trial. 
But Paul is there in Corinth, and he's there for a while, and he made tents with Aquila and Priscilla, and, and he used this as an opportunity to preach the gospel. He worked and labored, made money so he could go and preach the gospel, first to the Jews, but they didn't believe him, so he turned and he shook out his garments in frustration. He turns to the Gentiles, and he's frustrated. If you read this in Acts 18, he's frustrated, but, but we see that the Lord visits Paul. And he, he's almost, as, as, if you read this, like Paul's like, God, they're just not listening. They don't want to hear what I have to say. And I'm just almost, it's almost as if Paul's at his wit's end, and he says, I don't want to do this anymore. Listen to what God tells him in Acts 18, verses 9 and 10. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. God has people in our city. You think about that? You ever think about that God has people in severance? That he's called them, Romans tells us from the beginning, from the foundation of the world, he's called them. He says, they're mine. They just don't know it yet. And how are they to come? But about people teaching and preaching and sharing the gospel. God has people in our city, and he has people in other cities all around the world. Just as we prayed this morning, there are people groups, and God tells us that, that, that the gospel will be proclaimed to all nations, and then the end will come. God has people in our cities, and God uses his people to reach his people in our cities. Look at Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's great, right? We love that. Everybody calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes, we champion this. But here's the hard part. Here's what we wrestle with. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I love that our kids learn so much about the gospel. Where's our kids at? Our kids here, can you just raise your hand? If you're supposed to be in kids ministry, can you just raise your hand? Hey, I am glad you guys are in here, and I want to tell you that I love you, and I'm so glad that you guys get to go back to kids' ministry and learn about Jesus. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to talk about the things that you learn. When you go, school's starting, right? You get to go to school, or if it's homeschool group and all that stuff, that's great. I want you to talk about the things that you learn in kids' ministry. Do you know why? Because your friends, they need to know what you know. They need to know about who Jesus is and what you are learning. You, look at me, kids. Kids, where you at? Look at me with your face. You guys can be missionaries. Did you know that you can be missionaries wherever you go? You can tell people about who Jesus is. Did you know that? That's being a missionary. You don't have to go to the other ends of the earth. You can do it when you pull in the playground. Or at school or at lunch and all of those things. You can do those things. This is, this is why we do missions. Here's another thing that, that God just... While we were in Greece, there was, there was one day that just broke 
I mean, broke me. We got to visit a uh, organization, and what they do is they rescue women from sex trafficking. They take these women and they rehabilitate them, and they help them to to fit back into society. And these women have been taken from countries all over the world. And we got to look at a map and just dots all over this map where these, these women that they have helped have come from. It's all over, even America. And we get to visit with him and see the work. Praise God for that. And they have places for them to live. But then, then our leader, Tyler, he took us down in the downtown Athens, they were pretty much where we were staying. It was like two blocks over, three blocks over from where we were staying. And it was a red light district. And that activity is legal in Athens. It broke, it broke me. As you look down, it's probably at least a mile long on either side. And you look down the street and they're either doors or door facings that are painted red. And those doors signify where you can go and get whatever you would like because it's legal there. There'll be men standing there at the doors to greet you to find out what you wanted. It broke me. And one street over, just one, one street as we're walking through and seeing this one street further, just one block over, we look down there, and I'm, mind you, I'm there with my daughter and my son Jaime and, and others in our team. And I look, and just literally 10 feet away was this pretty much an alley where there were probably 40 people that were just absolutely strung out, laying on the ground. And I, I've been a cop for 20 years. And I've seen drug use and all, but to actively see people shooting heroin right there in front of us. Filthy, dirty, covered in scabs. I mean, the worst, they look, some of them look like leopards. It broke me. Because one block over, literally 100 feet, we walked past this and there's a cafe with family eating lunch absolutely oblivious of what was a block away from them. And this is what, what the whole day I, I just was rolling through my mind and my heart was God was saying, Imago Day, Imago Day, Imago Day. And what this means is that these are people created in God's image. These women that are trapped, these men that come and see them, these people laying on the street, even the family that was eating lunch, they're made in God's image. This is what Genesis 1 tells us in verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. The Imago Dei, the image of God these people that were laying on the street are image bearers of God, just like you and I. You were no more created in the image of God than they were. No more. And my heart just broke. All people, all people were created in God's image. And we need to remember that. 
if you'll put the picture of Arthur up there, the dude in the red shirt. This guy. This is Arthur. Arthur's just an awesome dude. He's from Albania. He was a pastor for a while. Uh, pastor to church there in Athens, Greece. He's just a neat guy. I love this man. He is just like a one man just wrecking ball for missions. But Arthur, Arthur was, it was who Natalie was talking about. This was our, our evening with him. Uh, we went and bought like several loaves of bread, a bunch of lunch meat and cheese and mayonnaise and tomatoes and, and lettuce. And we made a whole bunch of sandwiches and we bought bananas off the street. And, and Arthur, three days a week, Arthur makes sandwiches, probably 60 sandwiches or so. And he walks the streets where the homeless are. And most are refugees, people that, 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 that the Greek people just cast off because they're they're like Samaritans. And Arthur walks the street and he gives them sandwiches, something to eat. And the, the amazing thing about Arthur is he knows these people. The first lady that we came to, she had to be at least 90, sitting on a cushion up against a, a, a graffitied building. Everything is graffitied there. And she's sitting there and Arthur knows her name. He knows her story and he gives her a sandwich and asks how she's doing and what if there's anything else he can do for her. And we move on. We go to another lady that he gives three sandwiches to, and I'm thinking, why is he giving her three sandwiches? And he tells us, he says, well, she has, um, she has others that she takes care of. And one of the girls that was sitting beside him was, was mentally handicapped, and she cares for her. And Arthur told us that just a few months earlier that her son, who was also mentally handicapped, took his life just a couple months before. And Arthur, he's, we're going through the city and he's going to these people that are a handful of needles in one hand and taking a sandwich with the other. And he knows them. He knows their name. And Arthur's the guy that, that if you followed along with us, he owns a, a farm. He was able to, to pool some resources and he bought this olive grove. There's 160 trees there that have these olives and it's outside the city. And what Arthur does, he bought this place with his own money, a little bit of resources from other people, but he works to, to, to earn money, to meet needs in front of him. And he bought this place and what he does is he takes people off the streets that he can get off of the streets, takes them to the farm and let them rest a little bit. And then he allows them to work the olive grove there to make a little bit of money. Most are refugees that everyone else would cast off. And he sits down and he gets to share who Jesus is with them. And these are meager places. This is a cinder block building with no air conditioning. In fact, we were putting solar panels in so they could have lights and a little bit of electricity. We dug a, Jaime dug a, a hole in the back of the building back there as a, a, uh, a sewer pit, not a tank, a pit. This is how they're living. But Arthur, he loves people and he tells this. I remember one evening we were sitting down over dinner and he was, he was telling this, he was kind of asking him about this. And, he, and, and literally he was talking really mainly to Natalie and Jaime, and I'll never forget this, he was talking to him and he says, he goes, if, if, he asked me, he says, if you saw 100 euros wadded up on the ground and in the dirt and the water and the filth that's on the ground, would you pick it up? A euro is equal almost to a dollar, $100. They're like, yeah, I'd pick it up. It's 100 euros. He goes, what's the difference in that dirty, filthy 100 euros than a regular, crisp, clean? 100-year-old bill. He said, the value is the same. 
the value is the same. And he goes, this is the way that I see the people here. Some are dirty. They're torn and tattered. Life has beaten them up a lot. But they still have value. They still have value to the Lord. And they should have value to us. Just because we sin differently than other people doesn't mean that they don't need the good news of Jesus. Just because other people have different circumstances doesn't mean that they don't deserve the good news of Jesus. God is not finished drawing people made in His image to Himself in joyful worship. This is the why of ministry. God is not finished drawing people made in His image to Himself in joyful worship. So here's the big question, how? How do we do mission? Jesus tells us here that we, just how we do it. We pick up our cross, Christian, pick up your cross. Pick up your cross, deny yourself, and run after Jesus. We give our lives away for the sake of the kingdom, and we do this with joy. One thing that we noticed here in Athens, somebody noticed about the third day that we're there, somebody goes, nobody smiles here. Nobody smiles here. You know who was always smiling? Arthur. Arthur's always smiling. Always. Even in the, the, the hard circumstances that he faced, he was always joyful. He did it with joy. We give our lives away for the sake of God's kingdom, and we do it with joy. It means that we put God to the test when he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It means that we trust God when he says, go to the ends of the earth and love your neighbor as yourself. It means that we trust God when we are brought before judges and rulers, and God will give us the words to say to defend the kingdom of God. It means that we look at the way we, that we live now and we hold all that we have dear out to the Lord and say, God, show me, show me what you want me to do with all of this for your glory and my joy and the joy of others. I so desperately want us to be a church like this. It sounds good, right? Going, Josh, I hear you, but what, is this, what does this mean? I got three practical ways and I'm gonna wrap things up. Gosh, I got so much to share. Here's some practical ways. Number one is this. God, if we, church, we got to hit our knees. We have got to pray. We've got to pray like we've never prayed before. We've got to pray prayers that we have never prayed before. We've got to pray prayers that, they, God, that, that uh, don't just fix my ingrown toe. Uh, God, I want you to show me where, where, to, where I've packed my cross away. And, and God, I want you to, to help me pull this out. And I want you to help me to pick it up every day so that I can make much of you. I want, and God, you need to help me to show me where I can do this. We need to pray that we would die to ourselves daily and that we would live for Jesus. We need to pray for opportunities to go. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think of this. I was thinking about this this morning and yesterday. I'm thinking, well, probably some folks are going to be sitting here thinking, well, well, Josh, I don't know if God has called me to Southeast Asia. Maybe not, but I pray that he does call at least 20 people from our congregation to go to the ends of the earth. You ever prayed that before? 
You ever pray that God would take people from your church and send them to the ends of the earth? I pray for that. But some of you, well, God may, Josh, I don't, I don't think God is calling me to the ends of the earth. You're probably right, but he is calling you to, to do something. When's the last time you asked him? I want us to pray for opportunities to go. We're working as a missions ministry team for opportunities to go. And I told you a few weeks ago, Mike, our goal is I want every person that calls Calvary Severance home to engage missionally somewhere. We're organizing things that we can do over the weekend, that we can go and serve at the churches and other people. We're working where we can go overseas and do and reach unreached people group. And I, my prayer is that we raise up people that leave here and we never see them again until we're in glory for the glory of God. That's crazy prayer. But this is what God has called us to to go to the ends of the earth. And we need to joyfully send believers out, out to go and preach the gospel to love. People made in his image, made in God's image to share the truth of the gospel with them because here is the truth. If they die without knowing Jesus, they spend eternity in hell. Church, let that sink in. We need to pray that God would break our hearts for lost people. We need to pray that God would give us tears to cry for our lost neighbors. Here's the second thing. we got to do something. This is engage. We've got to engage, meaning we do something. It doesn't have to be big or elaborate most of the time. Most of the time, it can be really, really simple. Arthur, Arthur hands out sandwiches three days a week, every day for the past seven years. He's handed out sandwiches, and he knows people. And you know what he does? He meets people where they are. He doesn't say, hey, come over here and let me share with you. No, he goes to them, meets them where they are. He goes to the drug-infested places. He goes to the red light district, and he meets people where they are. We need to look for opportunities to do so. And here's the thing. It may be, it may be meeting your neighbors and inviting them to dinner. If they say no, invite them again. If they say no, invite them again. If they say no, invite them again until they give in. It may be going and being friends with people that have a different lifestyle than you. It may be engaging those annoying people. It may be getting to know the homeless. It may be getting to know the lost. It may mean selling all that you have and moving to a closed country to be a gospel presence. We've got to do something. We've got to do something. Church, we've got to do something. And here's the last thing. We've got to be consistent. Consistency is our friend when it comes to missions. Jesus says to pick up your cross daily. He doesn't say when it's convenient. He doesn't say once a year, once a month on a mission trip. He doesn't say uh, on Sundays. He says do it daily. Not every now and then, but daily. And we've got to be consistent. We want to do things well, and consistency does that. 
And here's what consistency does too. What I learned from Arthur, he's consistent. Seven years, three days a week, he's consistent. Those people know that he, he cares. Consistency communicates that we care. I've been going for a long time. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. I'm going to share five questions with you, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to be done this morning. But I would love to visit and share with you more. I have so much on my heart. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, I want you to listen to these words. When the Son of Man comes in all His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. That means all people. And He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? And and when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then would he say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, in the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then we will answer to them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did, did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's the missionary call right there. That's the missionary call to love people. And the purpose is not to give them something to eat and to get them physically well. But those are avenues that we can share the greatest news, the truth of who Jesus is. I got five questions I want you to ponder. The first one is this How have you grown complacent and comfortable in your Christianity? What are areas have you gone comfortable and complacent in your Christianity? You prayed about that? What are ways that you conveniently pack away your cross? And I've been pondering that one for a long time since we got back. What a ways did I conveniently pack my cross away? Number three, when's the last time you truly considered the condition of lost people? Does it break your heart that you know people that will spend eternity under the wrath of God? It should. 
When was the last time you earnestly prayed that God would lead you in making much of Him? It may be going across the street. It may be changing jobs. It may be selling everything that you own and going across the, the world. It may be just getting to know missionaries and praying earnestly for them and giving to the mission of our church. When was the last time you earnestly prayed that God would lead you in making much of Him? And here's the last one. What are ways that you can consistently engage the law? You may be here this morning and going, oh, this sounds really cool and everything, but man, I don't know Jesus. Man, I hope that you do. My heart breaks for you. I pray that you know the one true King. I pray that you've heard the gospel here this morning. And, and, and if you are an unbeliever here today, I am a missionary for you. I want you to know the one true king, the Lord of lords that has died for you, ransomed your soul, and what he calls for you is to pick up your cross and follow him with great joy, great joy. This is how we do it. We're all called to be missionaries. And I would argue it begins in our home. Begins in our home because here's the thing, I can't call you and we as leaders of our church can't call you to a place that we're not willing to go ourselves. And the beautiful thing about this passage that we read this morning is Jesus doesn't call us to a place that he's not willing to go. That he went and gave up his life for the sake of ours and he, he says, pick up your cross and follow my example. But it starts in our home and, 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 and we want to do everything that we can to make this possible for each and every one of us. We got this, and I know they talked about this last week. Every family needs to pick one of these up today. They're out there on a resource table. You need to grab one of these because you're going to see this a lot. These are just easy ways that you can be a missionary in your home and use it as a foundation to be a missionary everywhere else. It talks about knowing Scripture, how to pray. All of those things, they're super easy, and I want you to pick one of these up because we're going to span this over every area of ministry we have, from kids' ministry to our life groups to men's ministry, women's ministry, all of the student ministry, all of this, just ways that we can make much of Jesus and easy ways that we can do that. So here's my, my main question for you. Are you a missionary or are you an imposter? Do you cherish what Christ has done for you? And if so, let's pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your grace and your mercy that you've given us, Lord. I thank you that we can gather in a public school and we can proclaim the name of Jesus. Thank you that we can sing. Sing at the top of our lungs for the glory of God and what he's done. But Father, I pray that you would you would roust us out of our comfort, out of our complacency. Father, I pray that you would remove the veil from our eyes to see the lostness around us, to see the hurting, to see the sick and the homeless and the hungry and the thirsty and the imprisoned. God, give us a heart. Give us your heart for people. The Imago Dei, the image of God. 
So Father, I pray that you would make us a church that champions this among all things, to make Jesus non-ignorable and severance into the ends of the earth. Father, I pray that you would raise up people that say, I will go, I will go to that dangerous place because there are people. I'll give my life away to this dangerous place to the people that need to know you. Father, I pray that you would raise us up to be missionaries in our homes, to be missionaries across the street in our jobs, just to make much of you. Father, I pray that you would burden us. God, give us a righteous burden for the sake of your kingdom. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.